Are you Lee Kirby? No, I'm Lee Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Finally, found the V Lee Kirby. Hello and welcome to the Albacross podcast. This podcast series will follow our human power journey across Scotland, where we will explore different land management strategies and matters of inclusivity in the Scottish outdoors. I'm Ilsa Beck. And I'm Nellie Wilson, and we are the creators of this passion project that stems from both our love of adventure and our interest in the intersections between social and environmental issues. Follow along as we explore interesting topics with interesting people, and check out our Instagram and Facebook at The Albacross for updates on our journey and how you can get involved. In this episode, we spoke to Lee Craigie, um, who is the Active Travel Commissioner for Scotland and is the head of the Adventure Syndicate. We decided to do a roaming podcast for this one where we walked in the woods um, in Scotland, somewhere in Scotland. and A Boyne. It was a Boyne, yeah. yeah. And it was so nice like to just be out there in nature and have good chats. I felt like the conversation really flowed. I don't know about you. No. Yeah, a really good way to speak about um, some of the topics that are really important to all of us and things that we've been trying to address along the, the trip that align with a lot of Lee's um, aims and ideas. We mostly spoke about Lee's varied career in sport and adventure. Um, we also touched on Ailsa's ultramarathon and the different levels of risk and, and limit perceptions that people have. And also about changing perspectives on what adventure is and who can access it. Amazing. Well, we hope that you enjoy this podcast. Um, this is the second one that's out, so very exciting. Um, and yeah, more to come. The Albacross is now finished. When you're listening to this, we've um, completed our journey. But there's still so much more content to come. So keep listening and watching yeah. and following along. Onto a different type of Blah, blah, blah. I can't bother saying that. <laughs> I'm not, not first day. <laughs> well, yeah, I am Lee Craigie. <laughs> I'm director of the Adventure Syndicate, who are a collective of women who adventure mostly by bike um, and we tell stories about it so that hopefully other people might feel that they could go out there and do that same stuff. Um, and I'm also the ambassador for active travel for the Scottish Government, so trying to encourage more people to walk or cycle or wheel or hop or skip a cartwheel, whatever, um, just so that they feel a bit more connected to their bodies and the places that they're moving through um, and yeah rather than always driving places. How, um, how challenging has that been? <laughs> 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 yeah <laughs> yeah the, the, the policy stuff and the infrastructure conversations around and the fairness like I've got really into the heart of how unfair our society is um, you know, ev not everybody has equal access to being able to adventure or be able to be active and so I've got really drilled down into that and it's really pulled my spirits really low because of the injustice of society. Yeah. 
And then I've needed the other stuff. I've needed my personal adventuring time and the stuff that I do with the Adventure Syndicate to pull me back up um, and to make me realise just how important it is that I don't lose sight of what I need to function as a human so that I can go back into that job and give a bit more energy to that. It's interesting that you're using the same... Like, often people would choose to, to detach themselves from a stressful situation with something completely different. But your solution seems to be exactly what you're... Yeah, well, the doing is never... When you're out, well, you know this yourselves, when you're out there and you're doing the thing, that's a joy. It's all the stress around change or uncertainty or um, trying to bring other people along or organising something. That's the stressful bit. When you're out there and you're doing it, then it's, then it's, never, it's never difficult. Or it, it can be hard because the weather can batter you and you can be tired, but then you're in that moment and that feels quite lovely. And you know you've done it to yourself. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is that. <laughs> Have you had many kind of role models uh, that inspired you to get into adventure? There's been loads of really inspiring people in, in my life, but the, I mean, the first one is usually always your primary caregiver, eh? and, yeah. and my mum was, uh, she was never really an outdoor adventurer. She was a PE teacher, and the thought of going into the hills freaked her right out. But she did really love being in her body, like she was always really physical. And I think more importantly than that, she never, um, she never let us put a limit on what we might be capable of, my sister and I. Um, there wasn't a, a gender boundary around it. Um, there wasn't a physical boundary around it. There was never a, no, you can't do that. She was very permissive. She was very encouraging. Risk-taking was allowed. Um, and so that allowed me to go out there and, you know, when I was 15, I went for a bike ride that totally changed the way I felt about myself and my body. I realised suddenly that I could pedal huge distances and yeah, I would be tired. I'd be absolutely wrecked, in fact, seeing stars, but I could do it. And then once you've done something like that and your mum gives you encouragement and praise for it rather than giving you a hard time for going missing, <laughs> then, you know, you, you think, oh, great, what's next? And what's next? There's been lots of very strong women in, in my life um, and, yeah, women that have said, don't, don't be told by society what you're allowed to do or what you're capable of doing. Um, and I've been very grateful for that. Do you feel like that is a big barrier now that you work in the industry and you, well, not industry, but you're, you're surrounded by a lot of adventure? Do you think that, that is a barrier to people? Societal norms and expectations? And yeah, I think so, still. I mean, it's getting better, but so slowly. Um, I, I raced mountain bikes for many years and mountain biking I think probably is still perceived as this big scary dirty sport that needs lots of strength and power and, and we put that narrative around those sorts of activities ourselves society does that um, because there's a then you can be a hero if you conquer it and and I was really, really keen to, when I finished racing, break that down. You don't need to be a hero <laughs> to ride a bike. You really don't. Uh, in fact, the opposite. I think if you're not, if you don't pretend to be a hero when you're on your bike, you'll get so much more out of it. So that was the idea behind finishing racing, which is so goal-focused, isn't it? It's all about how fast you can go and how you can beat others and how good you can get at something. And while that's fascinating and also part of me, there's another big part that I think... Um, allows you to open up your blinkers, look up when you're on your bike, 
take your eyes off your heart rate monitor and actually look at where you are. Mm. Yeah. And that's how I got into mountain biking in the first place. I used it as a mechanism to get into the hills and explore the place and see the seasons change and understand natural rhythms. And then I got racing and all of that just narrowed to a pinprick focus. Um, and that felt like a real waste. Yeah. Do you, now that you don't race anymore, do you, it's quite hard to shift your mindset. Do you get the same satisfaction from what you would now call, what other people would still call pretty impressive <laughs> um, adventure, but like from less, I guess, intense and goal-driven yeah. sport? That's a really good question because there is something about the intensity of it that makes it um, makes it more vibrant, makes it m makes being in outdoor environments more real, more present. So it's it's, it? it is addictive, and there's a physiological addiction going on and a psychological addiction to to doing this stuff, this hard stuff. It changes your body chemistry. But there's something else. So I don't race cross-country mountain bike races anymore. I don't need to worry about my heart rate and my VO2 max. Um, but I do still really enjoy big, long, self-supported bikepacking races. So like yeah, five or six days, a little bit sleep deprived, carrying everything <laughs> that you need to eat and sleep and survive on the bike. And you're in these big wild landscapes. And I think people ask, well, if you're that into adventuring, then why don't you just, you know, go and be in a place and enjoy being in that place and not always be rushing through it. Mm -hmm. And the answer is complicated because I see their point of view and I do like to do that rest in places and take them in. But there's another element to that when you're stripped right back, when you are tired and hungry and a little bit cold, yeah, and pushing yourself. It gets in the back door, it like bypasses your senses and you suddenly become part of the place that you are. You become part of that landscape. You're feeling everything. You're seeing everything. You're tasting and smelling everything, so much more forcefully. And yeah, it's yeah. so amazing. Like, I think that's that's what I've I've seen as well, coming from like swimming and racing and being super competitive, and then moving more into like events and long distance, still races, mm -hmm. but I'm not necessarily driven by wanting to win. Actually, I've listened to like loads of stories and opinions and on like coming last and or even like not finishing, like DNSing it's called. And um, people just, I feel like they're so much happier when, when they're just involved in an event and the race. And it's not necessarily competing for the win. Like you don't need to do that. You can, you can be part of something huge in the... It was, it was really interesting, I think, some Skyline series with all the races that were there and obviously there were quite a large proportion of people that DNS and like but it didn't change the attitude it didn't change like spirit yeah it's just interesting to see people still so joyful at what they've done and mm. I'm not sure where that came from whether it's they um well they will have felt like very raw emotion during the race whatever it is so it's mm. maybe just like hitting a level of emotion that you don't in everyday life because there's so many other there's so much stimulation there's so many other people to take into account whereas mm. if you're just doing your own challenge and pushing yourself to really what like the most you can handle it must mm -hmm. well it is it's an amazing feeling um, i wonder if that. <laughs> maybe it just um gives it racing now it sounds like for for us anyway and maybe your trip here and the stuff that i do now it, 
it puts a boundary around the thing, so it gives you a structure for an adventure. So you're, you've got an aim, and everybody sort of needs something to aim for, or they lose direction and focus. Aiming for something gives you that boundary, that security. But then within that, if you're not focused on your goal, if you can be flexible within your goal, then you'll get more out of it. Really. Yeah. Just about about that these days. Maybe that's the thing, like, yeah, what you're trying to get out of it and all these stages of racing and then exploring your own your own cycling abilities and stuff when you're younger, it's all about coming to that to that conclusion at the end. And it's still evolving, I think, that conclusion. Yeah. Ask me again in ten years and it'll be completely <laughs> yeah. different again. Yeah, and but it even seems like well, from listening to what adventures you've done in the past and, and seeing recent ones like where you you just image um, yeah. and did that kind of thing it's like that's so exciting to have an adventure with a story and, and telling like getting kind of stories out there to different groups that don't necessarily engage with that it's a really interesting parallel you've just drawn out for me there Nelly that that idea that um, so this last project we worked with a, an academic in London to recreate historical women's active wear mm -hmm. and that became the boundary that became the point of the adventure suddenly probably for the first time the adventure wasn't a destination or a, a point that we were going to reach or a time that we had to achieve it was this this is our boundary and within this boundary you wear these clothes you can do whatever you want mm -hmm. um, and so we're thinking more laterally about adventure now adventure exploring concepts and people and place in a in a less of a linear way, yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And like Alice's idea of um, this cycle challenge, it's almost as if you're you're drawing a picture. So the idea is to make petals of yeah. with people's different routes. But that's like it's nice just to think. It's almost detracting from the the idea that we're going to do this really grueling adventure because you're you know you're going to be coming together <laughs> with other people. It is it is very different, and her idea around creating this next year's event um, where we have a central hub so it's safe people can go and journey in little petals mm -hmm. and come back to that safe hub um, which is really different again from that linear narrative isn't it mm -hmm. a b and if you don't reach b then you've failed yeah. and there's a whole load of different points within that that you can you can succeed i mean it, this is all about i mean this is surely what it's all got to be about is really being honest with yourself about where you're at and where your boundary is and then just nudging that and that mm. could be here, it could be here, it could be about there, but it's going to be different for all of us. Yeah, yeah. it could be at three petals, it could be at five. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. It would have been funny if one of you had bailed at Torridon. Be like, that's it, <laughs> yeah. I've had enough now, I'm going to live in Torridon. <laughs> yeah. I think we almost did that in Fort William, we all thought we could live in Fort William until we got desperately ill. <laughs> and then you had to leave Fort William. Yeah, and none of us are going back ever. <laughs> I'll revisit Fondren. Yeah, and I, I wonder actually what, I think there were, actually that's, that's quite an interesting conversation because we did have points where, especially after we'd been poorly, mm -hmm. where we thought, what's the aim of us both cycling it and mm. is it is yeah, it all right is it for just one person to because i was there was this time where it was after the ultra we were cycling from inverness or fort william to inverness mm. Mm. i wasn't feeling good like on quite right yeah. and we were going uphill and your your knee was sore as well but mm -hmm. we were both just a bit fucked uh -huh. um, <laughs> and and shay was like why don't you just get in the van it's like you don't mm. have to like push yourself this far mm. yeah but I was mean, that I the first time that you yeah had been challenged with that idea? had been challenged with that idea and i, d I just didn't like it i didn't like being challenged like that 
no, which was interesting. You were immediately like, I think, again, being stripped back to what only having that feeling and only having to work out what we were going to do yeah. next. You were like feeling you came quickly to the conclusion that yeah, I am stubborn and this is what I'm going to push it. Like yeah. we're going to push it anyway. So there's not much point in having that conversation. Hmm. Whereas maybe like we wouldn't have. You wouldn't have said that about yourself if we weren't there and trying to figure out just that. Yeah. Hmm. So it was quite a good way to be like, well, yeah, okay. She's <laughs> not. She's not. Not gonna do it. So let's just go slow. Let's just. Hmm. Go yeah, safe that was it. That that was the thing. We just slowed down, didn't we? Yeah. Instead hmm. of like pelting it, pelting it up, <laughs> yeah. up the hills. Like, yeah. Yeah, and that was the right thing for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because I think I, I mean, I always say to other people like, yeah, just just do what you're comfortable with but like you said like edging that mm-hmm. discomfort is is beneficial sometimes but like maybe and I did realize that like I think I'd hadn't reached my boundary maybe like other people thought that you were like I perceived mm-hmm. on the outside that I was completely dead but mm-hmm. I knew that I yeah, could can. keep going um, and you've learned that from your swimming presumably yeah I think so like you you do you do uh yeah growing up just just having to do one more lap or like pushing yourself mm. um, it does change how you think about yeah. things sometimes for the good because you know that you've yeah. got so much more in you but then where's your end point Ca- would people like you and i put ourselves in a hole before we would stop yeah. i yeah. suppose and that's the learning isn't it yeah <laughs> and then you're like oh never again but then <laughs> a couple of months later <laughs> yeah you, you forget all of that <laughs> yeah yeah do you think you have ever reached your limit is there anything that's stands out as uh, an event or uh, an activity that you felt right that's that's me finished. yeah I mean <laughs> I felt that loads of times mm-hmm. and I've always been able to keep going but there was one time when I just physically actually couldn't on the Tour Divide a 3,000 mile self-supported mi- um, bikepacking race from Canada to Mexico and about halfway um, I developed uh, edema so my whole body was just holding and retaining fluid like everything swole up to such a degree I couldn't push my legs past my um, top tube and my I was really really ill next up kidney failure and and I was so surprised and I had to just let my partner go on and I had to just sit by the side of the road before I hitched to a medical center to get fixed and thought that is actually the first time my body's actually stopped mm-hmm. ever yeah. s- actually stopped what was, what was that from um, yeah, it was probably a combination of things, but um, I was taking a max dose of ibuprofen to fix a knee or keep a knee problem at bay, mm. and my body just wasn't sh- wasn't processing. It was it wasn't shifting. Um, so that yeah, it, and it was so it was devastating. Like it was it was so scary mm. because when you have that kind of mentality that you're a bit invincible, and then mm. suddenly you're not. Or, you know, I've broken things mountain biking and I've had to stop for a bit, but I've always been like, right, this is a break, but I'll get back to that. Yeah. This I wasn't sure that I could get through. It was so scary. I think that really does also tie into what we're saying about um, learning what, why you're adventuring. And I guess sometimes when you get a shock like that, it makes you think, like, what's, yeah, what have I been trying to achieve through adventuring? I think a lot of people, like, well, accessibility-wise for the outdoors, it's something we've got to think about because everyone's on different levels of what they can achieve mm-hmm. and mm. like sometimes physically without any, yeah, it's not even a decision-making process. You just can't achieve a certain thing. It just it's important to look at 
so interesting to look at why people adventure and it's been super nice to chat to lots of women on mm -hmm. this trip because I think we all think similarly in the sense that your thing that you're doing is just as important and valuable mm -hmm. as the next person and like when we spoke to Lynn up at Cunyard she had a whole journey um, she walked from the west coast of Scotland um, and it was just kind of like to develop herself as a person and the, the connect to the environment mm -hmm. but she was you know very um, in tune with like not everyone can do that and yeah. going to the beach and just seeing at Sandwood Bay because she mm -hmm. was a ranger there she was like that that's someone's adventure yeah. um, no matter what they've done if they've gone for a little swim a little duke mm -hmm. or or just walked out walked the car, to, yeah mm. yeah because yeah, that's a big thing like escaping mm. your confounds like if you're from a city in an mm. urban area mm. and you've made that challenge yourself mm -hmm. to go yeah, out to the yeah. park and it's so healthy keeping that sort of curiosity and that perspective because who knows what's around the next corner for us you know yeah. we all age our bodies all change that duke it, it, on, in Sandwood Bay will, will probably be my adventure yeah. in another 30 years time and and understanding that will make the changes our natural inevitable changes more easy to process to accept if we can stay open to other people's experiences and people that you know are just not interested like the thought of coming for a walk in these woods just now would freak a lot of, yeah. of the the guys I used to work with in the central belt out mm -hmm. um, I'll get you know I'll get dirty I'll get lost all of that is so valid. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it's just about, to, again, pushing your comfort zones, isn't it? But yeah. I think that it's quite a nice, that's a nice aspect to adventure as well. I feel like getting into the adventure world rather than a racing world or a, like a one sport world, which is also very valid, not to diss that, but I think it gives you more of a scope for like preparing for the future because mm. if you have a, like a really wide range of things that you enjoy doing like you can go out to the forest or you can do three thousand mm. <laughs> miles and like we were foraging the other day and, and i was thinking in my head like that'll be a nice activity one day a really good activity it's a good way to walk around and mm. spend time So you must have done quite a lot of interviews and sometimes you're asked the wrong questions. Is the is the question of oh how are you managing in a, like this masculine world or you know mm. like what do you feel like people are asking the wrong questions in some ways or is it going in the right direction? Mm. I feel like the the bubble that I exist in is asking the right questions. I think there is a general sense that. Um, we need to be moving away from this striving and achieving and going fast and gro a growth mindset and, and, and moving more towards a, a well-being economy. Um, and I work with a lot of female leaders and perhaps it's a coincidence, but I don't think so, <laughs> um, that, that we're a bit more concerned with um, our mental and physical health over economic growth. I think those conversations are definitely starting to happen. Um, I think the environmental crisis, we're all feeling that more and more keenly and that's definitely lending weight to, to 
um, these new ideas, sustainable ideas. But then I think it gets lost. So there's loads of really good conversations and, uh, and people, people come to me. I think people are very scared to make the big decisions away from, away from growth and towards well-being because they're scared of losing votes, essentially. But that's why the, your stuff is important. So what I've realised in the last four years, working quite closely with politicians, is that I, I used to think, oh, they've got all the power for this change. Um, but they're just, they're just scared individuals who are waiting to see where the momentum goes. And it's the stuff that you're doing that's creating that momentum. The things that you're doing and the messages you're putting out that actually gather that momentum. And then our political leaders jump on board with that. They're like, oh, that's where it's going. So that's... That's going to serve me well to go that way. Uh-huh, yeah. And so I, actually, I think, I think it is bottom heavy. That's a really interesting and actually very inspiring yep. thing to hear, I think, as, as well as that, like, that's why... You know, I've appreciated this trip as well because it feels like we there is momentum and I think that there is so much work being done just like maybe surface level you don't see it necessarily because we, you know you're only fed what you you can see in your own circles and stuff and it's uh -huh. easy to get in your own box like what we need to concentrate on and not at all let ourselves get wrapped up in the in the fact that big change isn't quite happy uh -huh. because there's so much so many cogs moving yeah, right? yeah. there's so much value in putting all your energy into what is slightly perceived as a small do you do you take the time to notice the changes going on around you and really tune into a place yeah. or do you just biff through it and if you biff through it then you know change is never going to happen you're never going to you're never going to nothing nothing good is ever going to come out of that mm -hmm. But then at some point, I, th I guess we do need to join hands and, and form a wave that then swamps the people that are still not wanting to make that, mm -hmm. make that yeah. change. Um, that's the part I'm a little bit stuck on. Have you got any, any ideas? What are the next steps for that? Yeah. I, think, I think meaningful, participative democracy has got to play a huge part in um, where we go next. I think we, we need to be hearing from more people in a, in a more inclusive way. Um, and we can't just rely on even random selection to get opinions. We need to be going out there and outreaching, really working, grafting mm -hmm. to, I don't want to use the word extract, because <laughs> that's quite extractivist, but really listen, take the time to be curious and listen to the people in whatever way they want to express how they feel our, the way our society should be going. Um, but that's incredibly hard and time consuming and expensive and it's much easier just to consult the stakeholders who already have an opinion on stuff, yeah. which means we're just going to keep going round and round in circles. So if I can do anything in, in the job that I'm doing, it's, it's going to be trying to hear from more people and elevate those voices to places that can actually be respected.
that's not a problem but it is like an aspect of our society is we are quite individualistic yeah. and all our you know we're quite driven by our own goals. It's definitely a, a problem at every level isn't it? Mm -hmm. We're so keen to hang on to our little agenda because we understand it and we can make the change within that and then we at the end of our lives or our careers we can see yeah I made that little change and that fits in there but instead of actually just letting go of your own goal and merging it with lots of other people's yeah. goals yeah. we're so um we hold on so tightly don't we whereas actually a collaborative process bringing lots of different agendas together it could change things so much faster yeah. and maybe if we can just branch off a bit from that and think like we're no longer able actually to I mean there's a limit to what we can achieve individually now because of the pressures we're putting on on the world so maybe it's even more comforting <laughs> for people to, to turn to each other, other yeah. yeah and we need to take a lesson from nature like nothing exists in nature without a relationship to something else and we are part of that we've but we've somehow evolved to think that we're above that <laughs> you know maybe we need to be thinking about the about the tree that dies and decays and, be, and gets to be part of a, of a, of a bigger system um, and just consider, you know, take our egos out and consider, mm -hmm. consider ourselves just a drop in the ocean. But a really important drop, we've all got something to offer. That was uh, quite a nice way to, yeah, nice to wrap that up, thank you. <laughs>